If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 4 uh, as you guys make your way back to your seats. Uh, some of you guys know my kids, and uh, if you don't, they're really, really easy to spot because they, they kind of look like my wife and I. Uh, it's funny how that works out, right? Your kids look like you're the parents. But uh, my kids are super easy to, to identify because they're so small. Uh, my mom is four foot 11, and my wife is 5'2", and I'm maybe, like I, I tell people I'm 5'7", that's what it says on my driver's license, but I'm 5'7 on a good day, on a really, really good day. If I, if I throw out my hair, I might be 5'7". So my kids are like tiny. When they were born, uh, my, my oldest son, Mason, he was not even on the growth chart because he was itty-bitty, and Cameron, he was uh, premature a few weeks, and he didn't show up on the growth chart until he was two years old, and now they're both like 3%. And the other way that you can recognize my kids is they're super loud. It's something I think that they inherited from me. They are just loud. They walk into a room, and they know no stranger, and it's just like, ah, and like constantly going nuts. And my youngest... Uh, reminds me a, a little bit about me when I was a kid. He has no filter at all. And in fact, uh, some of you have heard this story. One of my most embarrassing moments is going to Starbucks. And uh, there was a, a larger gentleman that was sitting in the booth. And Cameron walks right up to him and gets closer than he should have and points to him and goes, Daddy, why is this man so fat? I'm like, we don't talk like that. That's not okay. And he could put his foot in his mouth just like I could put my foot in my mouth all the time. And, but we, we kind of shape and we mold our kids by genetics and the things that we do. We model for them over and over again. And we're kind of teaching them by an example. We're, we're talking about where we're going as a church. Uh, last week, this week, next week, we're going to be doing Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's a, a, a Sunday where we're going to talk about how, how life is valuable and precious, and we're going to dive into Scripture and see where it says that. And then the following Sunday, we'll talk more about where we're going as a church. Uh, today, we're focused on worship. And, and as we dive into worship, what's important for us to know is, is that we will shape and mold other people by the way that we respond to God. And so if, if we are a congregation that is just in our head and, and focused and have no emotion, then uh, that kind of shares, tells other people that that's how you worship God. And there is a component of worship and meditation when, when you're focused and, and you could kind of understand who God is. But, but worship is, is passion and joy from inside of you that cannot help but to sh shout and to, and to move and to like grow. And as, as we get excited about anything or something, it should create this desire to study and to learn more about. And we're going to see this in John chapter 4 this morning. Uh, we've actually done this text in the short time that we've been here. Hope Community Church launched last March, and, and we went through the book of John at a very high, high altitude. And so we're going to focus in a little bit more on chapter 4. I know some of you go, haven't we done this before? Different sermon. Uh, and we're going to look at what does Jesus say specifically about about worship in this text. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 4. We are going to start with the last sentence in verse 6. 
And this is okay. We don't have to start at the very beginning. We're starting at the last sentence. The verses and chapters were added. I'm going to put a chapter here and make this verse 4. So the, the thought that I want to start with is the last sentence in chapter 6. And it says this. It was the sixth hour, which means noon. It was the, the heat of the day. The sun was like bright up in the, in the sky. And it's a desert community. It was hot. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and we'll be talking about why she's doing this at the heat of the day all by herself in just a little bit. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman, uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking for a drink from me, a woman in Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And by the way, that is an understatement. Uh, the, the, the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans uh, is something that I can't even think of an illustration to describe uh, what, what that would be like today. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans were, were people that, that stayed in, in the area when the Jewish people were exiled in Babylon. And they were essentially half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-something else. And they, they kind of blended their theology and their truth with, with a whole bunch of other different religions. And so when the Jews were allowed to go back to their hometown, they saw these Samaritan people and go, you're not like us. You might have some, some loose connections to us, but you are not us. We don't live the way that you live. In fact, in the Jewish community, it would be appropriate and done often that a Jewish person would go into the temple and thank God that they're not a Samaritan. They would go, God, thank you so much that I was not born into a Samaritan family. And not only would they thank God for that, they would actually ask God not to save the Samaritans because they knew that God was gracious and he was uh, a saving God. And they would specifically pray and they were taught to pray this way, not to save those people because they were so evil and detestable and bad. And so there, there's this tension between Jews and Samaritans. There's a, a gender tension at this time between male and female. And this, this Samaritan woman is going, why are you asking me for a drink? Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to her, how does that you, a Jew, ask me a woman of Samaria, for the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. We're going to go a little bit further in just a second, but I want to, I want to stop here. Last week, we talked about the, the, the vehicle that is going to allow us to make an impact in this community is discipleship. 
that, that we need to be a people that follows after Jesus. And we need to be a people that, uh, that worships God, that is intentional about community. We're intentional about serving each other. And we need to be intentional about multiplying. And so specifically, I want to talk about what does it look like to worship God. And, and what we can learn from this text about worship is, is this. Jesus is, is going to be talking about something bigger than this, this natural conversation he's having about water. There, there's an undertone that he's referring to. And he, there's a couple things I want to point out. One is that there are barriers to, to really understand what worship is. And, and the first barrier that I want to draw your attention to uh, is some of us are, are, are trying to seek God. We're trying to, uh, to find God and trying to worship by drawing from a different well. So, so there's this conversation where Jesus says, would you give me a drink? He has nothing to draw with. This woman's coming out all by herself in the heat of the day. And he's like, would you please give me a drink? And she's like, you don't have anything to draw with. What it, what it, how, how, how are you going to give me something? Uh, how, how dare you even talk to me? And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. And she begins to question him a little bit. I think that there are things that we search after that will never, ever satisfy. This woman wanted what Jesus had to give her. She said, give me this water. Then I won't have to come back to this place every single day. If you could actually give me something that satisfies, then I don't have to come to this spot every single day. So let me talk about the three barriers, uh, the three wells that we draw from in our culture today. Number one is, is money and it's comfort. If you think about the North American lifestyle, it is part of our DNA to really crave what is easy. We have commercials that have the simple bu button or the easy button. It's like, give me something that is as easy as possible, and I am extremely guilty of this. I like it when I don't have to put a lot of work and energy into something. I love fast food because it's quick and easy. I could just pull up in the drive-thru, order my thing, and they give it to me. I don't have to cook it or anything. It is absolutely amazing. And in order for me to live a comfortable lifestyle, then I have to chase after the dollar. And comfort and money are not bad at all. Those are really, really good things. They're tools. They have no real value, but if it becomes everything that we're chasing after, it will never, ever satisfy. It will not bring satisfaction in our lives. And yet, some, some of us, that is what we, we long for. That is what we're chasing after. The second barrier is relationship and sex. And there are two things that is part of our culture, both relationship and sex, are great things. It's something that we need in our life to, to be able to, to function. God made humans sexual beings. He made humans to be in relationship with each other. And it's something that, that is good. But if that becomes everything that we're living for, all of a sudden, it's going to never, ever satisfy. There is a, a story by C.S. Lewis. And uh, there's another person who kind of rewrote it a little bit, same idea from C.S. Lewis, but rewrote it, this is not from me, to get an idea of, of how bad our culture has messed up sex and relationship. Could you imagine all of us jumping on a plane and, and heading to Amsterdam 
and going to the red light district in Amsterdam. And, and we get there and we're observing all the people that are around and we see this, this, this storefront that has these blinds that go up and down. And uh, the, the blinds go up a little bit and there is a piece of sizzling hot bacon. And people are like, oh, and then the blinds go down a little bit more. And then the, the blinds go up a little bit and there are two buns and a really, really juicy hamburger. And people are like yelling and going, woohoo, more, more, we want more. And it goes up a little bit more and there's pickles and tomatoes and lettuce and cheese and it's the best looking hamburger and people th start throwing dollar bills at it and going back and forth and, and shouting at it. If, if we were to observe people doing that to a hamburger, we would go, something is definitely wrong with that culture, right? Would you agree that if you're, if you're going to throw dollar bills at a hamburger, there is something wrong with that. And in our culture today, we have uh, distorted what God has made and objectified different things. And some people are chasing their whole life after something that will never, ever satisfy women. Uh, relationship is something that, that women crave and they need. And there is not any man on the face of this earth that will ever complete you. There's not a person, a man, that will ever, ever complete you. You could fall in love with a Fabio-type guy with really long hair and, like, ripped muscles. And, and this guy is, is so romantic that uh, you come home and he has rose petals, like, in the living room. And he's cooked dinner. And, and he, he loves to change diapers. And... and <laughs> He's like, you don't have to do that. I got the diapers. And he's like putting baby powder and everything on this child. And, and you might go, oh, I wish my guy would do that. But if you had a relationship with that man, eventually you would get tired of him. And you go, he never lets me do things my own way. He never even lets me cook. I like to cook. How come he's not doing that for you? And eventually you'd be craving this overweight, lazy guy who only wants to watch TV because a man is never going to complete you, is never going to satisfy you. Yet in our society, in our media, in our communication, over and over again, there's this idea that if I just had this right relationship, everything would be great. And guys, some of you would love it if your spouse had very little to wear and had like a huge piece of steak ready for you when you came home. And that might be a fun night, but eventually like you'd be thinking about a different piece of meat or a different woman or, or whatever that is. A person will never, ever complete you. And yet, Oftentimes, we chase after that, and in marriages, people go, if only my husband or only my wife would be able to do this and to do that, and that person never, ever was intended to make you whole. In fact, when people get married, you have two sinners coming together and usually making a mess out of everything, and yet in our culture, sometimes, we're, we're drawing from a well that will never satisfy and always leave you thirsty for more. The only thing that's going to satisfy is Jesus. The third thing, the barrier, the well that we, we draw from that doesn't satisfy is respect and success. We're going to be going through our next steps class at the end of the service, and we're getting to know you 
And so we would love for everyone to join us at, afterwards if, if you'd like. We're going to meet for about 20 minutes, and it's an opportunity for us to connect with each other. And we're going to be going through the Enneagram together, which is a personality typing uh, thing to help us help our conversation out. And um, I'm a number eight, and I'll explain what that is in a little bit. But respect is something that uh, I chase after quite a bit. I want people to honor me, and oftentimes that's sin. And I want the approval and the pat on the back from other people. And when I begin to chase after that, it's always going to leave me empty. And there's some people who really want to have the best job, the best clothes, the best lifestyle. You're looking for the approval of other people. And when your life becomes about what does that person think about me, what does that person think about me, you're going to be let down because the moment that you could get that person to give you a pat on the back, next week they're probably going to stab you in the back. Am I lying? Like, like people are so fickle and they will never live up to the expectations that we have of them. And yet our culture says if you just try harder, if you work harder, you could have all the success that you want and yet oftentimes success is out of our control. And who defines success anyway? Because the moment you think you have it, you need more. And the moment you get a little bit more, then you're worried about losing something and you're paranoid and you're worried about how it's going to happen. And it's as well that we draw from that doesn't satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is the gospel of Jesus Christ and fully embracing that. The second thing that, that keeps us from, from worshiping. So the first thing is the barriers, is when we draw from different wells. The, the second is unconfessed sin and unrepentance. It's, it's really difficult to, to be real in our day and age because we are concerned about what other people think about us. Some of us are, are concerned about what we think about ourselves and we beat ourselves up over and over and over again. But the truth is, you are not perfect, and I am not perfect. We have done things and have said things that are harmful to other people in order for us to get what we want, right? And in doing that, that that's called sin. And there is a separation between us and God. And yet, somehow, we want to go, well, my sin's not that bad. It's not a big deal. Uh, and and we, we limit the power of God by saying he didn't do a whole lot to rescue me. All, all he did was, was maybe die on the cross or something, but he didn't really do a whole lot. When we understand that we deserve nothing and that Jesus freely came into our world, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross and he rose again, and he thought of you saying, I want you in my family. I love you more than you could ever know. For us to say, I got my life together. I don't need you anymore. That's wrong. And we, in order for us to worship God, we need to understand that there is a gap from who we are and who God is. And Jesus is the only one that bridges that gap. There was a, a woman in a community group of last semester who, who confessed to her group that sometimes when we sing our songs in the beginning, she wants to worship, but she doesn't know if she believes the words that are up on the screen. 
and it's really difficult. She, she would say that she had a moment where, where she said a prayer and she said, Jesus, I give you my life, but she doesn't believe everything that we sing. And then she said that the moment that she confessed that to the group, all of a sudden on Sunday mornings, she began to, to grow in her understanding and her appreciation of Jesus. Confession doesn't have to be this deep, dark, horrible sin, but it's being real to God, going, God, I wrestle with this. I, I struggle with this. We, we need to confess to God if there's relationship issues in this community. If, if someone said something that hurt your feelings, we need to confess that and go, God, that person really hurt my feelings. I don't know their motives. I don't know their heart, but it stung and I don't know what to do about it. And just making that simple confession to God, God shows up in our life and gives wisdom. He gives power so for us to extend reconciliation to each other. And so we need to confess and repent. If we're holding on to sin in our life and going, I'm going to do this, I don't care what anyone thinks, you're never going to be able to really freely worship God. Can you be saved? Yes. You could give your life to God, but if you're living in, uh, in unrepentance with unconfessed sin in your life, you're holding on to things and you're not allowing God to go, I want to liberate this from you. I want to fill you with joy. I want to show you that there is a better life, my life for you. Would you just embrace it right now? Confess. Know that you need me and I want to come in and I want to minister to you. The third barrier that we see Look in verse, chapter 4. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw the water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I will never be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. It goes on a little bit further. Jesus says, Go call your husband. Tell him to come here. The woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, you've answered correctly because you've had five husbands and the person that you are living with right now is not your husband. And he brought her sin up to her. And she said, I could see you're a prophet. You have to be a prophet to know that. And she's just confessing that he knows something in her life. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem on this, sorry, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The third barrier is ignorance. This woman is, is worshiping based on the traditions that she was raised with. She worships on this mountain because that's what all the Samaritans do. And she doesn't want to be like the Jews who worship in Jerusalem at the temple. And Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. In our society today, 
I think many people worship what they do not know. We, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure, that God made man in his image and man returned the favor, right? We, we, we mold God into our image. And instead of having the all-powerful God who is Jesus, who sometimes disagrees with us, who is stronger than us, we go, you know what? Let's, let's not make Jesus into this really tough guy. In Revelation chapter 19, he has a tattoo on his thigh that says, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Yeah, let, let's turn him into like a, uh, I don't know, a Tinkerbell. And he could have this purple sh- uh, sash and long hair and just kind of wave at people. Jesus is more than Tinkerbell. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But in our society, a lot of people don't know who he is. And, and they go and they worship based off of a feeling instead of uh, knowledge of who Jesus is and who the word of God says he is. And if we are going to grow in our worship at Hope Community Church, then we need to be a people that is worshiping God, not just emotionally, but with our minds as well. We need to know truth and be able to know who God is. I, I mentioned last week when we kind of did an intro to this that my, my oldest son Mason got into fantasy football this last year. And at a, as a 10-year-old, I had no idea how much studying he would do over football players. He really got into fantasy football. And we would yell at the TV together and we would cheer our team on. And he studied and he learned and there was passion. And the same thing goes in our worship with God. It can't just be let's get together, have some really cool music and lift up our hands and clap and and sing. But we need to know who we're singing to. We need to know who we're praying to. And worship always comes with knowledge. You were created to be a theologian. Every single person has an idea about who God is. You have opinions and thoughts about who God is. That makes you a theologian. All of us are theologians. Some of us are heretics. We, we need to grow in our understanding of who God is, and he's eternal. He goes on and on and on, which means that we could search the, the Bible and the ends of the earth and continue to find new things about him, and that is so good, and we can't worship him out of ignorance. We come together and we learn who he is, and in response, we celebrate who God is. So those are the barriers that keep us from worshiping. Let's look at what Jesus says about worship as he's teaching about it. Verse 23. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? just to be face-to-face with Jesus and go, I'm the one you've been waiting for. So what Jesus says is that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth, which means we need to worship God with our heart and our mind. We, we need to, to, to really give him our life and give him our heart and our passion, as well as our thoughts and our mental things. In our, in our culture, and I think at this church here, Some of us have had a variety of different spiritual experiences in our past. Some of you, you you grew up within a church, 
and then there was this gap where you didn't go to church at all. And now you're here again, and we're really glad you're here. Some of you have never been to church ever, and you're just going like, what do you guys do? I'm not sure. Are you in a cult? Like, who, who are you? What do you really believe? And I, I don't know what I believe yet, but I'm here for the ride just to see what's going to happen, and we're glad you're here. True worshipers are going to worship and get excited about who God is. They're, they're people who go, God has rescued me. God has saved me. He has given me new life. And there are many of us in this room who've had this encounter with God where we said, I can't live my life my way anymore. I just can't do it. And there was a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I believe that you came to this earth. I believe you were God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again. I give you my life. Take my life. And when that happens, there is transformation that takes place in your life. And that's something to get excited about. And it's something to begin to pursue who is this Jesus who has saved you. When we are excited about God, it fuels us to know God more. It, it allows us to get excited about him. And so there's this circular thing that needs to happen in our life. And if you are just kind of like this type of person, continue to get to know God. Read your Bible. Dive into it. Pray. Know who God is. And allow yourself the freedom to get excited that he's building your life. He's creating something new. He's empowering you. He's bringing you into something bigger and sending you out. He has a purpose for you. Get excited about it. It's not a manufactured excitement. And if you are excited about who God is and you're like, Jesus, yeah, and you wear the t-shirt, get to know who he is. Dive into your Bible. Read. Understand that God loves you. He has a plan for you. Understand truth. There's a couple things that I think we could, we could glean from. We, we, we need to be a church that's focused on discipleship. That's who God made us to be. And I believe discipleship is kind of these, uh, these areas, these spaces that we focus on. Worship is one of them. We, we focus on elevating God, responding to God. Community is something that we find in discipleship. We're intentional about meeting with one another. We're intentional about forgiving each other, reconciling when we step on each other's toes, when things don't work out. We serve, and we put other people first by serving, not just in here, but outside these walls. And we multiply. We develop leaders. We grow groups. We plant churches. We will plant another church from this group in the next five years. I believe God will do that. I have no idea how he's going to do it, but I believe that God is going to do it, and he's going to do it because he's going to rise you up, raise you up, empower you, and send you out. And so everything we do needs to be about worship, community, service, and multiplication. If you are serving on the tech team, or if you're serving uh, by setting up chairs, setting up and tearing down, and it's about setting up chairs. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I think sometimes we could go through this task of serving and really miss the point. We could, we could go through and go, look at what I did. I did this. And we're chasing after approval, the pat on the back. We're, we're chasing after a relationship. And we believe, oh, if I set up these chairs, these people are going to like me. Uh, no. Uh, 
We, we like it when you set up chairs, but that's not the reason we like you. We like you because you're an image bearer of Jesus, and we want to get to know you. And so as, as we begin to go through things, some of us need to realize, what is the reason that we're doing it? If we do it for Jesus, then we're going to be satisfied. We're going to be filled. But if we're doing it for another reason, for comfort, for, uh, for relationship, or for approval, we're going to get burnt out, and it's not going to be worth it. And so as, as we look at the different things that we do, it needs to be to honor God with our life. If you are not a follower of Jesus yet, at any moment of time, you could go, Jesus, I want to get to know you. I give you my life. Would you speak to me? Would you draw me close? And in a simple prayer, you could just go, God, I give you my life. Fill me up. And everything's going to change. Look at the end of this chapter. Verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They, they marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said anything. What do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her, uh, her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town uh, and were coming to him. This woman was an outcast. She had five husbands, and the person that she's living with, she's not married to. She's so ashamed, she's going to draw water in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, so she doesn't have to talk to anyone. She cares what everyone else is thinking about her. But the moment she meets Jesus, she doesn't care what people think about her. She's like, I think I met the Christ. Come meet him and come find out who he is. He changed everything. He knew everything about me. And when this woman gave Jesus her life, she was filled with joy and passion and she wanted as many people as possible to find out look at the end of it verse 40 many of the Samaritans verse 39 many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me all I ever did so when the Samaritans came to him they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days many more believed because of his word then said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you've said that we believe, it's because we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. When you get to that moment and you go, Jesus, here is my life, something changes inside of our hearts. There is something supernatural that takes place. God takes away the old and he fills you with something new. He gives you his Holy Spirit and your life is about to change. And other people are going to begin to see it inside of you. So any moment in your life, say, Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, what are the barriers that are keeping you from true worship? Is it comfort? not bad to want nice things, but if you're living for that, it's never going to satisfy. Is it money? Is it relationship, sex, respect, success? Is there anything that you're letting go on in your life that you don't want to repent from, that you're, you're too afraid to confess? If you need salvation, if you need help, cry out for help. God will rescue you. He'll come into you. He'll change your life. Let's be a people who go out and worship in spirit and truth. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song. 
And I want to challenge you to do business with God today. Maybe for some of you, you just need to repent and cry out to God and go, God, I need you more than, more than I even know I need you. I need you. Come into my life. Some people are really good with God. I want to encourage you. If God has spoken to you, lift up your hands. If that's not your normal way of worship, challenge yourself. Get expressive with your worship. Close your eyes, forget about who's watching, and have a close moment with God and know who he is in spirit and truth. Let's sing together. Would you stand with me?